Well, thank you, everybody. It's, um, it's really, really good to, to be here. But I can't really say with honesty it's good to tell my story because, you know, I, I speak in public almost every week or every month or whatever. And I'm really anxious this morning. <laughs> so if y'all could pray for me, I, I really would appreciate it. Um, many of you know I work at the Kentucky Baptist Convention and I have a variety of duties that I do. I, this just goes on and on. And that's one thing I like about it is the variety and um, the different people I get to meet and the different walks of life. But one area in particular that I value very, very much is that I get to walk with people who are in pain um, and grief. It can be anything from their loss of their church to, um, pardon me, elders and deacons, <laughs> being bullied by uh, elders and deacons. It's their perception, okay? Um, all circumstances. But you know, I, I value each and every one of these relationships. And um, all of them are very, very important to me because they're all unique and they're all different. As a result of this, I've been doing this many years, uh, 28 to be exact. I sort of became a student of grief. And I know that sounds odd, but there's a lot to be learned about grief. Um, a lot to be learned through scripture. Uh, there's a lot to be learned through just human contact and how people move through, how they move in and out and around and through. There's just a lot to be learned. And there's different grief experiences um, that we can experience. Uh, they're in different categories, and I won't go into all that, but the one we think of most when we think about grief is the loss of a loved one. It's a person who has died, never to see them again. Man, that grief is deep, and it's sorrowful, and it's painful, and it goes on and on. And something I've noticed is we outside the grief of the person treat it as if they have the flu. You usually get around three days from your, from your job to grief. Then you come back to work, and we as onlookers, We'll give them a week or two, and then we want them to be back to normal because their grief bothers us. Am I right? Their grief involves us, so we want them back to normal. But they are not, not back to normal for a very long time. Another kind of grief is anticipatory grief. That's where the person may have a fatal illness, uh, something that is incurable. We watch that person demise right in front of us. We anticipate the death. We grieve before they're gone. Uh, you get the idea. That's anticipatory grief. That one is very, very hard because then we have the grief after the death. And even though we've anticipated the grief, the grief is still there after the death. And another one that is really hard to define and quite honestly one where I find myself, and it's called unconventional grief. It's odd. It's very, very odd because... We're grieving a person who is still there, who is not ill, but who is gone. Um, they've changed, or we've changed. Um, they're no longer recognizable as the person we thought we knew. Uh, this person is right in front of us. They look the same. 
but they're not the same. They're not who we thought they were. Or, or, this could happen from traumatic brain injury. It could happen from the claws of addiction. It could happen from PSTD, or it could just happen because that person we knew was not who we thought they were or, or who we have gone along through life knowing. You kind of get the idea on that. That person is alive and well, but we still grieve the relationship with that person. Um, this person we loved is gone, but we deeply grieve that relationship, the loss of the dream um, and all of that. Um, they're still around. Whatever the reason, all grief is deep and it's loss. And it's, uh, it's the unconventional grief is hard to recognize and even harder to share, depending on the circumstance. But what do we do with all this loss and grief? What does scripture say about loss and grief? Um, I can tell you what I did. I went inside, <laughs> I closed the door, shut the windows and pulled the blinds. I thought I was really clever. I really, really did. Um, I simply couldn't make sense of this grief and sorrow that I was feeling. Two positive things I did during this time is I entered therapy, which was life-saving, and I also started digging into scripture, which was life-giving. Um, I couldn't wait for the mornings that I could go into scripture and try to find me there. This had to have happened somewhere. It has to have some words for me directly. I just, I couldn't make sense of it. Um, so those, those sessions with God would sometimes go on all morning. Because, you see, after this happened, KBC put me on leave, open-ended, if that tells you anything. <laughs> open-ended leave, who, all, who, who gets that? So um, I kind of knew people's schedules around me. So if I, even though you're shut up and shut in, you've got to go out sometimes, get milk. So um, I was coming back in one day, and I think the Lord knew I'd been shut up long enough. <laughs> and I, I'd come in over the hill, and who do I see but Phyllis Webb? I wish she were here. Big old van blocking my garage. I cannot tell you the superlatives that went through my head. <laughs> I couldn't get in. I had to get out, and I had to face her. <laughs> She was sitting on my porch with a big old sack of Arby's. So I had to go in and I had to open the door and we went in. So in sending the um, person in my direction, she was my first entry into, into life again, I guess. Uh, but you know, she came in and she spread out the food and we ate and um, she didn't ask, make me talk. We just ate. And this is called, in case you don't, this has a clinical definition. This is called the Ministry of Presence. I know the Ministry of Presence because I've done it many times. So we ate our Arby's, and she asked the right questions like, um, are you sleeping? Are you eating? Um, are you bathing? Maybe I look pretty bad. <laughs> And, and then others started coming to the door, too, and I started slowly opening up. 
Um, many of you remember Carl and Susan. Uh, Susan came one day, knocked on the door. I peeped out. It was her. I thought she's safe. She said, we're going for a ride. I thought, no, I don't want to do that. So we went for a ride over to their sunroom in their back porch. And with a carefully placed box of tissues, I sat there. And we watched the birds and picked blackberries and did normal kind of things. And so that's the Ministry of Presence. Uh, gradually, and, um, and all this time I was still in therapy, probably three or four, maybe two or three weeks had passed, and he said this to me, and it was so stunning that I wanted to hit him. He said, Peggy, you're beginning to wake up. He said, the shock is almost over. I can tell it. I can see it. And when you do, the pain is going to be immense. And boy, was he right. He gave me a scripture, and maybe one of you theologians can tell me where it was, because I've either either in Samuel or Psalms, where King David said, pain must be felt. And guys, it must be felt. In order to move to the next step, you have to feel the pain. Because you see, after the pain comes the resurrection. I'm going to fast forward a long time here because there's a lot happened. This is five and a half years ago, by the way. Um, I was still trying to make sense of this spiritually. And I sort of began seeing the resurrection in a different way. I believe as a Jesus follower and as a Christian, we are all resurrected people. And I think his his resurrection saturates the most sorrowful moments of our pain and honestly I think it gives us significance in our pain our pain is to be felt and it is to be absorbed by other people and by him metaphorically and don't don't tell don't don't misjudge what I'm saying here in some ways I feel like I touched the cross during those first couple of years. But when, when you touch the cross, something has to go. So I begin a new way of life. I thought to myself, I will not, will not be defined by this. But it still does not alleviate the pain. But when you start the resurrection, the pain lessens. Um, I'm standing here today honestly telling you that I am stronger than before. I am. I am more confident, and I absolutely have no fear of my future because I know who holds my future. Um, that came from a lot of prayer, pain, and pondering, and friends. There's friends that invite you over for waffles. Who does that? There's friends who go out on Friday night dinners there's friends who sit across from you at your desk and let you cry once you go back to work. When you do begin to cry, you, you find out you're a fountain. Boy, nobody likes to cry. But that's part of God's healing grace. For the sake of time, this is my point. It is not my pain, my sorrow, and what I've been through. It is be aware of unconventional grief and pain in others. We all have grief, we all have pain, we all have things we're suffering through. But learn that ministry of presence. There is nothing like it to the person on the other end. Just be there. You don't 
we all say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Well, don't do anything and don't say anything. Bring a sack of Arby's. Offer them a waffle. Let them watch your birds. In Galatians 6, 2, it says, carry one another's burdens with confidence. I was fortunate enough to have people help me carry my burdens and continue to. Romans 15, 1 also says, now this is the kicker. If you've experienced pain and suffering, and you feel like you may be in control of yourself. This is, this is not a ask, it's a tell. It says, now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weakness of those without strength and not to please ourselves. So if you've experienced pain and loss and you feel strong enough, it is your obligation to go to others with pain and sorrow. You need to show up. You need to ask questions. Ask them appropriately. Prove yourself worthy of their answers. Don't go once. Don't be a one and done. Whew, I'm glad that's over. But be a presence in their life. Listen. And I mean really listen, not to wonder what you're going to say next, but listen. And please suspend your judgment because you don't, even though they're talking to you, you still don't know the details all of them, so suspend your judgment. Remember, our hearts, when they cry, it's because our souls are sick. When we begin to discover his purpose in our lives, we do begin to heal. God's not finished with me. Even at the ripe old age of 64, he is not finished with me. I no longer study the Bible obsessively. I still study and I still praise but not obsessively, and sometimes that kind of bothers me because I don't have that same zeal and drive to get in there and dig and, and all that, but I do go every day, and we have a sweet, a sweet communion. And I was talking to Kenny Mattingly this week, and he suggested, and this may not be his words, but this is what I heard. He said, perhaps you're just simply abiding in Christ. It's just a sweet relationship. And I think, I think that may be true. So my prayer for you, if you're in pain, trust Jesus, dig. Um, know the resurrection is coming, but know in order to have resurrection, you do have to feel the pain, and part of you does have to leave and has to die. Because, guys, it is all about the resurrection. I feel I've had an earthly resurrection, but... Um, I cannot wait, cannot wait for the second resurrection with Christ. So if this story at all helps you, I'm, I'm grateful. Um, just remember that pain is sickness of the soul, and you can come through it. You can with prayer and friends and a church like Christ Community.